The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. between the songs we've sung this morning and and the wonderful communion talk, um, there's not much for me to say. But believe it or not, I'm going to speak. So you're stuck listening. (laughs) Um, Just as we uh, continue this series that's um, called Encounters with Jesus, just wanted to let you all know that um, we haven't come up with this stuff by ourselves. It's all based on a book by Timothy Keller called Encounters with Jesus. And so if you've liked what you've heard over the last few weeks, I encourage you to go buy the book and read the whole book because it is amazing. It um, It is wonderful and you will learn so much more. Today, our aim is to spend a few moments exploring what, Um, it looks like to have faith in God. And we're going to look at uh, a passage in the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 26 to 45. And it's the angelic announcement to Mary, who was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And I guess it's appropriate because today is Mother's Day. And... uh, it's, it's a good chance to talk about that. But also, you know, at this point in Mary's life, and we'll talk a little bit about Joseph too at this stage, is probably the place that we as ordinary people can identify with them a little bit because they hadn't met Jesus yet, but they had to make a decision whether they were going to take on the challenge of being his parents and... Uh, believing in him as the Messiah. Father, I pray that as we read your word and as we just think about what you uh, might have to say to us, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and we ask that you would speak to us very clearly. Amen. So, Luke chapter 1, verse starting from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. There's angel and Gabriel in the same verse. How cool is that? Um, anyway, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly disturbed and troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Now Mary has several responses to what the angel has to say. But her first response to Gabriel is that she's greatly troubled. And she's wondering what kind of greeting this will be. Uh, The word troubled in the Greek means to disturb, to perturb, to excite emotionally. And the word wondered translates to, to use logic and to reason with intensity. And so you can think, well, what is Mary trying to intensely figure out about Gabriel's Gabriel's greeting, which is just, hello, Mary, God loves you. Um, Yeah, it's freaking, freaking me out as I was reading it. But if we put ourselves in Mary's head a little bit, Mary was a teenage girl from a poor family, and she was engaged to be married. And the fact that she had an angelic man who was probably pretty handsome, pretty well built, standing in front of her, talking to her alone in private, was not done in that culture. Perhaps it was the fact that she thought, hold on, I'm not in the temple here. Um, My cousin Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, had a temple visitation. He was priest and, and the Lord's angel appeared to him over there. What is there an angel doing here? Whatever the reason was, her mind was working really hard to try and make sense of what was going on. And um, verses 30 to 33, really as we look at it, as, a, as, the, Gabriel, as the angel Gabriel continues to talk, um, really challenges Mary's idea of God as she knew him. And she had to really start thinking even more. Because what was Gabriel saying to her? He was saying essentially that the baby boy who was going to be born to her is of divine origin because he strongly resembles Yahweh God, who is the son of the Most High. And he will be given political power that will establish his kingdom forever. Now... Going back to putting ourselves in Mary's head, Mary's understanding of God was that he was unique. He was infinite. He was the eternal creator. And um, he existed above everything, before everything. And she would have been totally fine with the part of the message that Jesus was coming, the Messiah, to liberate his people, to save his people 
and, and to establish Israel to its former glory because everybody was waiting and expecting the Messiah. But I think what would have blown her mind out was the fact that it was going to be God himself becoming a man, incarnating himself and being born of someone of lowly state like Mary. Because, you know, Gabriel, I don't know if the communication lines in heaven are very good, but really everybody was expecting a royal birth. I think Mary forgot that David was related to King David. I mean, that Joseph was related to King David. So it kind of ticked all the boxes. But like Mary, we can have our own responses when we hear about the good news of Jesus. We can be excited. We can be puzzled. We can be curious. We can be worried. We can be scared. But we have a responsibility to think about the gospel. We have a responsibility to think about the good news of Jesus, to use our logic, to use our reason, to try and understand it and to try and make sense. Even though we might not have all the answers at first and we might not understand how everything's going to work, that's where the element of faith comes in. It could be even, if it's even slightly possible, then we need to give it the chance in our minds to make sense of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and then verses 26 to 30, Paul reminds us, there's, there's, there's a slide for that, Paul reminds us that God often uses the foolish things of the world, the unimportant things and unimportant people of this world to reveal his love and his power and mercy so that no one can boast of their own efforts. And it's always going to be pointing to God's glory. So the first thing that I'd love for us to do as we're trying to figure out what faith in God looks like is to resolve that we are going to think. When we hear about the good news of Jesus, that we will think. We will use our logic. We will use our brain cells, to, to think and understand and learn. The second thing we see Mary do after hearing this incredible news is that she does a very cor courageous thing, is that she expresses her doubts, as we see in verse 34 to 35. So as if the first part of the news wasn't enough to floor Mary's thinking and just grab her off guard, Gabriel's reply to Mary's sincere question of how can this be possible, <laughs> help me understand, is it's all good, Mary. The Holy Spirit's going to create a baby in you and that will be the proof that he is God's child. Like that was a big help. So again, let's try and put our heads around this, get our heads around this. By, by kind of slipping into Mary and Joseph's sandals for a bit, because I don't think they wore shoes then. As Lewis explained last week, weddings in Cana were a big deal. It was more than just the bride and the groom. It was about the whole community, right? It was about the whole society. 
So if you were engaged to be married and you were going to fall pregnant, that was not going to look good. Not for your family, not for yourself. And certainly, you know, what was going to be the future? What was the future going to look like? So, you know, um, there would be rumors of sex before marriage or that the fact that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. Now, either of these reasons for being pregnant was not okay in first century Palestine. It was a violation of the social norms. And, you know, the least would be that Mary would be divorced by Joseph and the worst could be that she could have been stoned to death. Joseph would be well in his rights to, do, to, to divorce Mary. But even if Joseph and Mary decided, okay, we're, we're going to accept this child and I'll just do the right thing. You know, can you imagine the shame of life in the village, in the future, the gossip, all the rumors that would be going around? And Joseph had a lot to lose as a man in the community, as far as his standing went. And so if we look at Matthew chapter 1, I'm just going to give you the references just for time's sake, but I think there's a slide for this as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. So if you can just keep going with the, the verses. You know, it, it records Joseph's encounter with the angel and with God himself about the message of Jesus. And it shows that Joseph had great respect for God and his word. And he had a desire to be kind to Mary. He was a good man. But what speaks louder in these scriptures is Joseph's obedience to God. And, and that the fact that he stood to lose more, but he was still willing to obey God. And um, so no wonder Mary had to express her doubts. No wonder Mary had to ask the question. Because her future depended on it. Her, her future was about to radically change. Um, and initially not for the better either. Because we know as the story goes on <laughs> that, you know, the actual birth wasn't a better situation. And then, you know, um, the fact that Jesus' three-year ministry, you know, uh, actually they had to, ex- even after the birth, they had to escape to Egypt just to keep Jesus alive and then Jesus' three-year ministry of like up and down roller coaster, all of that ended in the crucifixion. I mean, yes, he was resurrected, but at the different points in this journey, Mary as a mom would have kind of gone, Gabriel, did you really have the right message from God for me? Because <laughs> it's not quite working out. So expressing doubts, engaging and debating and asking questions about the good news of Jesus and about how to have faith in God at different points in our life is is healthy as long as as long as we are genuinely interested we are genuinely seeking to have faith in God if our hearts are genuinely seeking for the truth then God who is the God of the universe, is able to, by his Holy Spirit, lead us to himself. He can do that. But if we're arguing and if we're cynical and we're just trying to find the easy way out because we're just dismissive, 
because it's hard for us to hear the truth, then we're never going to be able to see the truth, even when it's plain, even when it makes sense. Perhaps deep down, we're aware that if we were to see the truth and see that Jesus is good news, maybe we'll have to do something about it. And maybe that's why we're quick to be dismissive. John chapter 1, verse 9 to 12, again, there's a slide for that, um, talks about Jesus coming into his own creation and the creation not receiving him. But to those people that would actually take a step of faith and receive him, the, the rewards are endless. So Mary's reason and logic might have helped her up until now because she gave her the courage to ask some questions. But at some point, she needed to have faith and it needed complete surrender. Complete surrender is the courage to step outside of what you know and step into the unknown as we see in verse 36 to 38. Gabriel's final words to Mary seem to inspire her to accept the good news of Jesus somehow. Because it's interesting to note that Gabriel says something like, even Elizabeth, (laughs) as though Elizabeth might have been the last person on earth to be able to have a baby. But here she is, six months pregnant, because of the power of God's word, to accomplish what it was sent out to do. So for both Mary and Joseph, it seemed somehow enough that the good news and the message of the good news was from God. This leads us to believe that perhaps the faith that they had in God was somehow just based on what they knew about him and that was enough. Um, It didn't matter that the message seemed ridiculous and absurd and impossible. Um, They felt confident to completely trust and to act on it. Mary's response in verse 38, for example, shows courage and absolute abdication of her agenda. Her and Joseph were willing to give up the reputation of their names, their family honour, Even their own dreams as potential newlyweds of what they wanted to do with their lives. To walk into a future that was going to be covered by a promise of God bringing a saviour into the world to redeem his people. But it was filled with unknown details. They were willing to embrace Jesus based on God's word. Tim Keller says this in his book, and there's a quote for this. I, that He says that perhaps Mary's third response to Gabriel would be something like, I don't know all that you're going to ask of me, Lord, but I'll do whatever you say in your word, whether I like it or not, and I'll accept patiently whatever you send into my life, whether I understand it or not. That's huge. It's huge. What does complete surrender look like for us? 
what stops us from accepting the good news of Jesus? Is it the fear of the unknown? The fear of just being ridiculed? Fear of the hardships that it might bring? Or could it be our pride? Because most of what we feel and most of what we, we if, if not everything actually, most of what we feel, if not everything, is somehow rooted in pride. The Bible talks a lot about pride and calls it a sin. Because pride is essentially a mistrust of God and his ways. Because we won't trust God for whatever reason, and there might be important and valid reasons, we want to be in control of our own lives. We want to be our own saviours. We want to make our own decisions about what's right and what's wrong. And we want to bring our own self-worth. Pride will not allow us to be vulnerable before God or even others, because we just think it's a weakness. When Jesus was teaching about the cost of discipleship and he was challenging the crowds who were following him, um, he was saying to them that it was going to cost them everything. Reputation, relationships, security, status, comfort. And Jesus said, you, if you want to follow me, you have to pretty much say goodbye to all of these things. And Timothy Keller again says a brilliant quote. It is not just the willingness to give up the things, and the stuff in the brackets is I added that in. It's not just things. Sometimes it's easy for us to give up things, but it's hard for us to give up habits and behaviours and desires which are in the inside. So it's not just the willingness to give up things, but the right to determine what those things are. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 26, and I, I would love to read this because it's powerful, Jesus says, the choice is actually all or nothing. That's what he says, and that's what total surrender looks like. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Scary words. So when we're making a choice, such as whether we're going to keep our souls or lose them, one would hope that we wouldn't want to make it alone that we wouldn't have to make it alone. You know, it's interesting that people that don't even know Jesus or haven't accepted the good news of Jesus, don't believe in God, no one wants to do life alone. That's one of the scariest things. So Mary wasn't any different. 
that's why she was in a hurry to go visit Elizabeth. Because he was someone that had experienced something similar. And she could share and they could talk about it and be encouraged and, and have hope together. As we see in verse 39 to 45 of the passage. You know, the good news of Jesus, it's amazing actually that when you have an experience that you share in common with someone, it doesn't matter. It becomes about the experience. It doesn't matter how old you are, what background you're from. If you share a common experience like going to Disneyland, you're united. You're specially united. And it's the, well, the message and the good news of Jesus is much better than Disneyland. Yes, it is. It is unique. It is a unique message. You know why? Because it's a transforming message. It's not just any message. It's a transforming message. And the uniting factor that we have that's common among us that have accepted the good news of Jesus is that we don't live for ourselves anymore. We try not to anyway. We are being radically changed and we're being moved by the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. We can encourage each other. We can comfort each other. And there's hope when, as a community, our focus is to please God the Father, be united as brothers and sisters in Jesus the Son, and to walk in the love and the unity of the Holy Spirit. And this is the same comfort that Mary would have had by spending three months with Elizabeth, just remi reminding each other. So as we just come to a close, and as we reflect, I want to say that the good news of Jesus is not a message that we receive and act on just once. Faith in God needs to start and end with Jesus. Faith in Jesus. The Bible says that in our human state, we are inherently sinners. We're broken. We're all dysfunctional. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. All of us on the inside. And no matter how good we think we are, we will never be good enough to earn favor with God. Because Jesus is the only one who is good enough to have favor with God. And that's why this message, the good news of Jesus is so important. And that's why it's a transforming message. Because Jesus steps into that gap. And he says, if you put your faith in me, then you can have favor with God. And that's why we can't just accept that news once because we need that every day. We need that all the time. It doesn't matter whether we're just starting off on this journey of faith or whether we've been doing it all our lives. I just love you to close your eyes and just keep reflecting. And I'm just going to ask you some questions based on what we've talked about.
do we think about the good news of Jesus and intensely ponder on it as Mary did so we can be in awe of God's grace and kindness towards us? Do we do that? Do we express our honest doubts when we find ourselves in difficult situations? And do we give the Holy Spirit a chance to lead us to truth instead of withdrawing from God? Are we willing to completely surrender to God's will in obedience and trust? even when we know we will face hardship because of the good news of Jesus. Are we willing to share our lives with others because we have been transformed by the good news of Jesus? Are we willing to allow him to bring us out of solitary living into living in community. Because you know we can all be living in community or attending a community, but not actually connected to the community. God, we thank you. We thank you that you did the most inconceivable thing and you sent Jesus as our rescuer, as our good news. Thank you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is transforming. And it's continually at work in us. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would continue to surrender our lives. Give up the right to make a choice of what we're going to surrender, but that we would completely surrender ourselves. With your help, And I pray that as we fellowship and work and pray and live our lives together in community, that you would continue to transform us into the image of your son. Lord, I pray for people that are here that might not have accepted the good news of Jesus yet, who might be still thinking about it, who might have doubts about it, and are just too scared to completely surrender, I pray that you will keep walking with them. And for those of us that, Lord, have accepted the good news of Jesus, I pray that we will keep accepting it. We will keep walking in complete surrender. And we 
ask all of this in Jesus' name, Lord. I just want to say, if you want prayer this morning, if there's something that you want to talk about from what you've heard, and if you would like prayer for anything else, whether it's you're sick or you have any anything struggles that you're going through, then that then please stay back for a few minutes, and and our leaders and our pastors will pray with you. And please spend time this week reflecting on the good news of Jesus.